0: Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you guys. Um, Last time I was here, this room was empty and we were filming in 2020. Uh, So I'm glad to see that the Lord has increased the numbers in this church. Um, My name is Michael Bowles and uh, my wife and I, we recently moved from Los Angeles uh, up to the great Pacific Northwest And so we are just south of Seattle in uh, a small town called Lake Taps. Uh, So we went from big city with millions of people to, like, 10,000 people. And uh, it was quite quite the culture shock. In Los Angeles, my wife and I, we were in, like, a Facebook group for, like, Neighborhood Watch. Is anyone, like, in Neighborhood Watch stuff, Facebook groups? Okay, just us. We're the only trolls. Okay. So... Uh, We would always like troll what was going on in the neighborhood and there'd be like four shots on Martin Luther King Boulevard and uh, just constantly crazy stuff happening. So in anticipation for our move, we're like, let's join the Neighborhood Watch Facebook group for where we're going to move to. And to our surprise, um, some of the posts that had a lot of traction were someone said, hey, there is a sheep on its back (laughs) in this pasture. Does anyone know... Uh, the owner, we are concerned about this sheep. So we were, uh, yeah, I mean, needless <laughs> to say, uh, it's, a big, it's a big difference. But I've known Daniel and Kayla for a long time, um, probably near 15, over 15 years. Um, they were youth leaders uh, and leaders in the church uh, that I attended growing up. And it's been so cool to see their example, following Jesus and saying yes to him And uh, I was even mentioning to some of the team earlier, I still remember like vividly Kayla packing lunches to take to houseless individuals in downtown Bakersfield, and uh, she'd take some of the youth with her, and just seeing how their love for people has literally like birthed this church through the help of the Lord, and uh, His goodness and kindness has been so cool to see over the years just what God has done in and through their yes to Jesus. Um, If you have your Bibles, you could go ahead and open them uh, to Genesis 3. Daniel and I were uh, at lunch yesterday, and we were eating tacos, and we were talking just about stuff going on in our world, uh, stuff going on just even in the lives of friends that we know and in our own lives, and he had made a comment like, man, we're we're like going back to Eden, aren't we? Like we're moving back to Eden. And he invited me months ago to come share my story with you all um, of how God radically grabbed a hold of my life and rescued it out of uh, drug and alcohol addiction and just a life of craziness and living for myself. And I thought, what better story and narrative to kind of sandwich my testimony in than just the story of this movement back towards Eden. And so uh, I'm not going to assume any of you know, but in the story of Genesis, the account of Genesis, we have uh, the account of the first humans, uh, Adam and Eve. And as the story goes, they uh, are naked, unashamed, and are invited to eat freely in the garden. And I'm thinking, man, that must be nice. I can't even do that in my own house. Uh, <laughs> but they are given kind of this mandate to be fruitful, to multiply, to rule and subdue the earth. And as the story goes, they choose autonomy. The one thing they weren't supposed to do, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, they eat of the fruit. And um, it's the fall of humanity. The, the harmony that they had in Eden Uh, with the Lord is fractured. And I remember um, I used to be a youth pastor for um, quite a while, and we'd take our students to this youth camp, and we were very fortunate and privileged to have a Christian psychologist um, on site. And so I was in a lot of those meetings with students who either um, had been abused um, or were abusing themselves, and So in this space, I just remember every single time, every single person, um, the Christian psychologist would kind of go back to Eden because, you know, the person would be like, man, I can't, can't believe, like, if God is so good, why is this happening to me? If God is so good, why am I experiencing such pain? And he would go back to Eden and he'd say, that's not how God intended it to be. God created everything and it was good. God created this space, this home for the first humans where he had just sweet harmony and relationship with them. And because of their sin and them choosing to disobey God and his commands, that relationship is fractured. But we're given a glimpse to how intimate that relationship was. In verse 8, it says, and they heard The sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I drink a a quad shot nearly every morning, and then I open my Bible, and I do not hear the footsteps of God approaching me, uh, no matter how uh, good the coffee is. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be to gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? How did you get to this place? And I think for many of us, we have kind of this moment where in our own personal lives, we find ourselves, uh, at least in either past or maybe present, where maybe God is saying, how did you get here? What is this that you have done? Now, I don't think it's beyond God's sovereignty and omniscience that he didn't know what had happened. But I think him phrasing that question, what is this that you have done? How did you get here? I think it speaks to the intent. I think it speaks to his heart saying, this isn't what I intended for you. This isn't the life that I had for you and created for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that um, your word is alive, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and pierces us right to the very core of who we are. God, I pray that you would speak in a way that only you can this morning. God, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase. I pray that you would honor just my times of study and preparation. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do what only you can do in this place, and that's change lives. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Um, My birth mom, so my mom, um, was addicted to drugs and alcohol and was caught up in a whole slew of things. And in an exchange for some drugs, uh, she made a decision which resulted in her getting pregnant with me. And um, many people would be like, oh man, that's, that's an accident, right? Um, but I have a high enough view of God's purposes and plans to know that he doesn't make mistakes, uh, that he doesn't mess up, there are no accidents uh, under God's watchful eye. And I was born in 1988, so to give you some context of, of how old I am, um, and I mean, I didn't, I was adopted at five months old by an amazing Christian family. Um, I grew up in Bakersfield. Does anyone know where Bakersfield is? If you, if you do, I'm sorry. Uh, I escaped, as did Daniel and Kayla, and we have never looked back. Um, but I was adopted by an amazing Christian family, and I just grew up in church. Um, like, I can't even remember what life was like without being at church. I was always at church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, we would do like this outreach grow nights, Wednesday night youth. I was just always at church. And so at a very young age, I just had a sense that God had a calling and it had a plan for my life. Um, and I, unbeknownst to me, I, I had no idea that I was adopted. I had no idea that my parents were not actually my parents. Until I was nine years old, I was on the playground and I was playing a game called tetherball. Does anyone know what tetherball is? Do they still play that? I don't even know. Um, But I was playing tetherball, and I was just whooping on this girl in tetherball. And I don't know if you have this friend that you could be playing a sport against, and you're winning, and they are super competitive, and they just say something personal. Like, they just say something personal and, like, attack you, and you're like, whoa, bro. Like, this is Chinese checkers, like, this is sellers of Catan, like, why'd you have to say that, like, about me? So, this particular friend, uh, again, I was beating her in tetherball, she got so mad at the end of the game, she said, oh, yeah, well, your parents aren't your real parents, and I'm like, whoa, what? Nine years old, on the playground, literally, I have a Pokemon binder right here, Like, I, you know, after the game, I was going to go get my trade on, and this girl just completely unraveled my world. I'd walk home from school that day, and that was quite a long walk, just thinking about her words. And I got home, and I asked my parents, hey, is what this girl said, is it true? And they said, yeah, it's true. So they told me about the reality of my situation, the reality of uh, even the setting of where they went and, and got me, uh, and it wasn't pretty. And so really from, from that point on, I think I really struggled with acceptance, rejected, re- rejection, um, thoughts of like, was I not good enough that my biological mom and dad didn't want to keep me? Did I, did I do something bad that, that upset them to where they gave me up. I just didn't have an understanding. And I think that, that thinking, when I got into junior high and high school, it led to me um, making a ton of bad decisions. Um, disrespecting authority, being promiscuous, choosing a lifestyle of drugs and alcohol and partying, ultimately trying to find satisfaction. Um, for my soul in anything but God. And Daniel and Kayla, I'm sure remember that season of my life, uh, going through high school especially, where it was just this tension. Like I'd have moments where like, yeah, God, you're, you're awesome. You know, I'd go to camp and if you've grown up in church, you just know camp is like the Costco size hairspray can thrown into the fire of your faith and you're like, ah, and then I would get back home, and I'd go right back to partying, I'd go right back to using drugs, and it would eventually lead me to, um, getting arrested my senior year when I was 18, um, actually not being able to graduate because I was in jail, and, um, after high school, I found myself doing things that I never thought I would do, um, I found myself in a place that I just never thought I would end up. I was completely hooked onto um, heroin, methadone, meth. I was just using anything and everything. And I was trying to find home in, in these substances. I was trying to find home like community in these people that ultimately didn't care anything about me other than what I could provide or give them in the moment. And God allowed certain circumstances in my life um, to happen, I believe, to put me in a position where I was sensitive to hearing his voice. And a lot of you have probably heard stories like this over and over again, where um, crazy stuff happens, and and then, you know, the person turns to Jesus. And I just want to preface, like, what I'm going to say with, you do not need a crazy story or a crazy testimony um, to make an impact for Jesus. In fact, anytime someone gives their allegiance to King Jesus and puts their faith in him, it's the most ridiculous, scandalous thing of grace ever. Like, I remember being at a conference and the speaker came out and he's, he comes out and, and we're sitting there and he's like, man, God saved me from, you know, he starts rattling off some crazy stuff. Like crazy enough to where even I'm like, I've done some crazy stuff. And I'm like, this dude's a bad mamba-jamba. Like, this is a bad guy right here. Like, how does he, like, have a microphone? And he goes on to say, like, that he was a pastor's kid. He never smoked cigarettes. He never got a C on his report card. Um, And God spared him from having to go through some crazy stuff. And I just was, I remember thinking, like, wow, what an interesting perspective that God in his kindness and goodness got a hold of his life, and kept him from all of these things. So again, I'm going to say you do not need a crazy testimony to be used by God. And so God allowed all these um, situations and stuff to happen in my life. Um, and when they all started happening, it started unraveling really quick, um, and some people refer to this as kind of like the rock bottom where you're just at the lowest of lows and you were at the pit. Um, and so this is, this is what it looked like for me. Um, completely hooked on to drugs, and I found myself selling drugs just to keep up with my habit, which is like $150 a day. And um, to give you an idea of just the amount I was using, um, I had a friend that... I had kind of known through a Christian Christian school and another neighborhood friend, and we grew up together, and I found myself selling drugs to him. And um, I remember it was a Sunday night. I had sold him some drugs, and that next morning, I get a phone call uh, and text from different friends that his mom went to wake him up for work, and he had overdosed and died, and she found him blue in the face. And um, I just remember from that moment, just thinking like, what am I doing with my life? And at this, in this season of my life, I had been dating a girl for about a year, which in drug years, that's like dog years, like that's kind of a long time. Uh, And she was pregnant. Um, We were pregnant. She was about three, four, four months pregnant. But mind you, we're, we're using during this time, things are just not good, Um, but Inside of me, I think at a young age, God had deposited this like longing for family, right? This longing to be a father, this longing to provide for like kids, maybe what, you know, I I didn't have. Parents that uh, left, I wanted to be a parent that stayed. And so I, I, even though I was addicted to drugs, I was dealing with this tension inside of me. And I was like, man, I need to get my life right. What is going on? Shortly after my friend passed away, Um, I got in a bad car accident. Literally, like, two days later, I got in a bad car accident um, in Bakersfield. I was on the freeway, and I was late to meet a dealer, and uh, he was like, are you close? And I was, like, 20 minutes away, and I was, but I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm five minutes away, and I'm speeding on the freeway near 80-something miles an hour, And I look over my shoulder to change lanes and I look back in front of me and I see brake lights of a big rig. So I swerved to miss the big rig and I drifted into a lifted truck. Um, My windows were down so the side of my head had kind of hit the truck and then my back end of my car uh, hit the big rig tires and both the axles of my car um, were broken to give you an idea of like how bad it was. Airbags went off, um, went into the center divider. Um, and I remember my parents showed up, and my parents, like, they're Christians, right? Like, I mean, my childhood, I'd come home high from high school, and they, my mom would be playing like Joyce Meyer. And I'm like, oh, I can't stand that voice, <laughs> like, you know? Uh, so that was my childhood. So my parents show up to, the, to this crash scene, and I'll never forget my mom. She's looking at me. I'm literally, I'm walking out of it. I'm, I don't have any injuries, Um, literally God kept me safe. No bruises, no nothing. And she looks at me with tears in her eyes and she's like, God has spared your life. God is trying to get your attention. And I just remember myself being so under the influence. I'm cursing at her, I'm yelling at her. I'm just being a wild and crazy person, right? Um, But I think there was some truth. I knew that what she was saying was true and I just didn't want to hear it. So that led me to just using more and more because I didn't want to hear my, my mom's words in my mind anymore. I didn't want to feel like, you know, like when God's pursuing you, you have a sense of like, there's something inside of you like, you're like, man, God is pursuing me. I, I, I just, you feel it. And, and we could talk more about what that is, but for sake of time, Like, I knew that the Lord was pursuing me, and it just pushed me farther into addiction. And the next day, like, this story couldn't get more dramatic. um, The next day, I had overdosed um, on Dilaudin, and um, my my friends or the people that I was with, um, they dropped me off at the front doors of St. Francis and took off. And so I wake up, and I'm there, and I have... IVs in me, um, pumping me full of um, liquids and different things. And you would think that like, okay, this is, you know, this is it. Um, But I saw someone I was actually in jail with walk by, which is just, you can't even make this stuff up, walk by. And he's like, hey, and I was like, hey. And I bought drugs from him right there with like all this stuff hooked up to me, um, it was methamphetamine. And I remember I like pulled that little table with the all the scapula and all that different or I don't know if there's a scapula there. <laughs> that just makes it more intense, right? There was a scapula there. Uh, so I pulled that over and uh, used those drugs and I just remember the heart rate, you know, like that heart rate monitor, it's like beep beep, all of a sudden it's like beep 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 beep. beep. The nurses come in and I'm just again wild crazy guy. Um, and I'm like, I got to get out of here. And I'm like, want, ripping the stuff out of me. And I take off. And things just, again, progressively got worse. But I think through the spirit just breaking through my hard heart, there was something that was impressed on me like, something's got to change. Like, my life has to change. Uh, or I'm going to end up in prison or dead. And. So I was like, man, I need help. I need to, I need to go somewhere. And so um, my parents got me a one-way ticket to Portland, Oregon to go through a program called Teen Challenge. And uh, again, coming from sunny Southern California to Portland, it was super depressing because it was overcast. If, has anyone been to like the Pacific Northwest or Portland? It's like the most depressing thing ever. It's just, I didn't even know there was different types of rain, but there's like all of these different types of rain that they're telling me about. So I remember uh, landing in Portland, them picking me up, being in Teen Challenge and being so angry. I remember seeing the guys there, and this is a Christian uh, drug and alcohol rehabilitation program. And I remember seeing the guys, they're, they're working, they're doing like landscaping and yard work, but they're not getting paid. It's going to actually support the ministry that's providing the service for them, but they're happy and they have smiles. And I just remember thinking like, where am I? <laughs> like these guys are working all day, like physical labor, and they're not getting paid, but they have smiles on their faces and I was so angry at them. I didn't want to talk to them. All of them, you know, it was like, they had this Christianese language like, hey, brother, hey, brother, what's your name, brother? We're so glad you're here, brother. I could still hear them, And I just was like, dude, I do not want to be around you. Don't talk to me. I don't want to be your friend. And looking back, I think why I was so angry at them is because they had something that I wanted. Because the reality, on the inside, I was hurting. On the inside, I was broken. On the inside, I had a lot of pain. On the inside, I had a lot of stuff that I just had never looked at, nor did I want to look at. I remember my third day there, like, I'm, I'm withdrawing pretty bad because the amounts of drugs I was using, and so they wanted to take me to uh, a place called Hooper's to... Um, that would medicate you and kind of put you to sleep. And uh, my third day there, I, I kept getting denied because I was California resident. And my third day there, the director came in to take me. And I don't know what it was, but I just was like, "Hey, I, I don't, I can't explain it, but I'm not going to go." I, I just felt like the Lord was telling me, like, "Hey, if Jesus can endure the cross and all that, then I can endure this and get through it." So I'm not, I'm not going to go to a place to get medicated. I'm actually going to go cold turkey and get through this. And um, at this point, I was ditching all the chapels and all the religious functions that they were providing. And I remember I was like, okay, like, God, you're doing something in me. I'm going to go to chapel. And so I go to chapel that that day, and this lady comes up to me, and she's like a Portlandian mountain lady. She's like wearing a flannel, like missing some teeth, kind of like pine scent beard oil. Like she smells like that. She comes over to me and she says, hey, I feel like the Lord told me to come over here and tell you something. And I just looked at her and was like, what are you going to tell me, lady, that God loves me? He's got a plan for my life? Get out of my face. She closed her eyes, and I'll never forget what she said. She said, you should be dead. God loves you so, so much. God's got such an amazing plan for your life. And then she started speaking about things that God had deposited in my heart at a young age that nobody could know about. And I remember I just lost it. I started crying, like bawling, like out of control. Like, remember, remember the movie Walk to Remember when you find out, like, she has cancer and you're just like, oh my gosh, you lose it. Like, mocos everywhere. It was just super bad. And I, I, like, look up. I'm crying with this woman. And I look up, and, like, the teen challenge guys are high fiving, like, praise the Lord, brothers. Like, the Lord's getting him. And it made me more mad. But yet, I'm, like, also being wrecked right now by, like, God using and speaking through this woman. She prayed for me and left, not knowing the impact um, that she would have on me. Um, We had, like, another chapel that day, because it's just, that's what you do. You just have multiple chapels. And I went to chapel that night, and I remember thinking, okay, God, like, I don't want to hear some vacation Bible school story I've heard my whole life. I don't, like, I need to know that you're, like, real. I need to know that you're with me, that you're fighting for me. Uh, And that guest pastor came in, slammed his Bible down, and said, I'm not going to give you some vacation Bible school story. You've heard your whole life. I'm going to talk to you about surrendering your life to the will of God, scrapping any plans that you have for your life, and giving everything to Jesus and making him Lord of all. Because if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And I just remember, like, absorbing everything he was saying. That night at 8.36 p.m., September 6th, or September 8th, 2010, Um, I rededicated my life to the Lord. And I'd love to tell you, like, from there, things were like daisies and roses and were amazing. Um, But there were still consequences from my sin and my actions. That next weekend, that was on a Wednesday night, that next weekend, I got a phone call from my parents and her parents. She had moved back in with her family. uh, And mind you, this girlfriend of mine, she was pregnant uh, and they made her get an abortion because they didn't want her to have a drug addict or drug dealer's baby. And I remember like <laughs> being in Portland and just thinking like, God, what the heck? I thought you were good. I thought you are for me. What's going on? And I had to have like a little bit of faith to just see beyond my circumstance and believe that like what God has in the future is good. Like, even if Jesus didn't do another thing for me than what he accomplished on the cross, securing my eternity, it's good, yeah. right? And I'm just going to have a little bit of faith to keep moving forward. So fast forward, I moved to Los Angeles to go be a part of a Bible school that David Wilkerson started. He's the founder of Teen Challenge. Not because I wanted to be in ministry, but just because I wanted more time uh, sober or clean and I wanted to know the word more, and build a foundation, uh, and it was there that I met my wife uh, at that ministry institute. Later, we, we moved to Hollywood, and we helped plant a church in Hollywood, California, and served as youth and young adult pastors in Los Angeles for nearly seven years. Um, we have a five-year-old boy named Cove and a 10-month-old little girl named Cambria, and my wife is about three months pregnant, uh, with baby number three, and uh, just what God has done in my life has been so redeeming, right? It's been, it, you know, when you talk about Eden, Eden is, as you look through the redemptive history of the Bible, it's, it's this movement back towards reconciliation with God. And we experience that, right? Like now through Jesus, he, he comes to make his home in us, his spirit dwells in us, and so you see through the narrative of the Bible, in the Old Testament, you have like the tent, the tabernacle, the temple, where God's spirit dwells. And then Jesus, right, fully God, fully man. And then what he accomplishes through his death, burial, and resurrection, now he sends his spirit to make its home in us. And why is that significant? Because it, his spirit enables us to live differently, his spirit enables us to overcome sin. And so since September 6, 2010, like I have not used drugs since, like I've been clean and what God has done in my life has been beyond what I could ever dream, think, or imagine. Um, yeah. From, from not even getting a high school diploma Uh, I graduated with my bachelor's in religion. I just graduated with my master's in biblical and theological studies. I'm now in a THM program at that same school. Um, And I never, I don't share that saying like, hey, this needs to be the path for you. Or hey, this is like a cookie cutter thing. Like now go and do likewise. I say that like we serve, I say that to say we serve a God that makes all things new. We serve a God that literally takes like the brokenness from your life And turns it into something beautiful. Uh, We just moved up to the Pacific Northwest where now I work in a ministry called Absolute Ministries that helps guys coming out of drug and alcohol addiction learn what it's like after inpatient rehab, what it's like to follow Jesus in vocation, in uh, managing finances, being a good steward, plugging into their local church. And in a lot of ways, I'm like, (laughs) I get to see kind of myself right? And I get to be a hope and a story of encouragement for them like, hey, you can do it. You can break the cycle of addiction. You can change through God's spirit inside of you. There is hope. And so I don't know where you find yourself this morning. But I share that story to hopefully encourage you that like we don't serve a dead God. We serve a God that's very much alive that has changed lives that is changing lives and will continue to change lives until he comes again. So maybe you're in here and and you know someone that's struggling with a life-controlling addiction. Anyone? I think we've all been impacted. Now we have like the fentanyl epidemic. In the past like two years, I've lost six friends to overdoses on fentanyl. And you know what? God is better than that and God's spirit is still changing lives and changing, giving people hope that are coming out of fentanyl and coming out of drug addiction. And so, if you've been praying for someone or you know someone that is struggling and you're like just tired of it, you're fed up and you feel like giving up, may my story just offer some hope and encouragement. Don't give up on them. Like, let's not limit God where God doesn't limit himself. Like, Love is patient, right? Love is long-suffering. I'm so thankful for Daniel and Kayla loving me in some of my darkest moments uh, growing up. I had so many people around me that uh, literally saw the gold (laughs) amidst the garbage of my life. And so can Eden Church collectively be a church that chooses to see the gold maybe amidst the garbage of people's lives and believe that God has the power uh, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead uh, to bring people and raise them up out of the ashes. And I want to close with uh, a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, he's a famous Christian thinker. If you haven't heard of him, go just read everything he, he's written. Uh, he says this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world my heart and my prayer this morning is that you would find your home in god you would find your home in jesus right this eden uh, this reconciliation to like this harmonious relationship with god and we anticipate jesus is coming again like the full consummation of his kingdom where we'll get to experience Eden restored Uh, and even better because we won't have the capacity to sin or mess it up. Uh, We're going to be in our glorified bodies uh, experiencing Jesus in this beautiful garden city. Uh, So thank you guys for letting me share my story. Um, I pray that you were encouraged and uh, I pray that your faith was stirred. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you so much for Eden Church and what a gift it is. God, I pray that if there's someone under the sound of my voice in this room that is far from you, God, I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would woo them. God, I pray that they would respond to just your summons, calling them to yourself to repent and believe in King Jesus. God, for those of us who have stepped over the line of faith and uh, are followers of you, God, the world is constantly pulling us away to give our allegiance to other things. Maybe it's not drugs or alcohol or life controlling uh, addiction, but maybe it's uh, creating lists, wish lists on Amazon or scrolling offer up or uh, social media or finding identity in this facade of social media or whatever it is. God, I pray that this morning would just be a recentering of our, our lives and our allegiance where we could just come back to you and say, Man, like you are truly the thing that's going to satisfy my soul. You are the bread that satisfies, you are the living water that quenches my thirst. And God, I pray that you would just give us prophetic vision and eyes for the city of San Jose and the communities where we live. And you would give us just opportunities to love people who maybe they're, they're not cleaned up yet and they haven't stepped over the line of faith yet. Uh, pray that you would give us opportunities to love those people, to be patient with those people. And God, if we have family members or friends that uh, are that person, God, I pray that you would give us grace, long-suffering, Uh, mercy and give us words. When that opportunity arises where we get to speak life and share the good news of Jesus, I pray that you would give us words to say. And God, I thank you that you are faithful to accomplish your good purpose here on this earth. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen.